Thank you so much, Dan, and choir and instrumentalists for glorious worship this morning. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, earthly bodies and heavenly habitation, 1 Corinthians 15. What are our bodies going to be like in heaven? Will we still need our walkers and our wheelchairs? Will we walk with a limp and bear the burden of the scars of yesteryear? What about the whole idea of organ donation? Does giving the gift of life hinder my celestial being or body? Is God somehow hindered at the day of resurrection by cremation or any other form of destruction of my flesh? Now, these aren't exactly the questions the Corinthian Christians are asking. These are modern questions for modern Christians. But the base of these questions is the same question the Corinthians had. What are our bodies like in heaven? And how do our present earthly bodies relate to our heavenly habitation? The answer to all above was no. No wheelchairs, no problem with organ donation, no problem with cremation. You remember in 1 Corinthians 15, there were those who were saying that Christ had been raised from the dead, but those who follow Christ will not likewise be raised from the dead. Look at 15, 12, 1 Corinthians 15, 12. How do, the last part of the verse, how do some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Some of them were saying, yeah, Christ was raised from the dead, but we won't be raised from the dead. How do some among you say there is no resurrection from the dead? You remember what Paul told them, if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sin, your faith is in vain, and you are a pitiful people. This life is the end of life. We have simply perished. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, but look at verse 20. But Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. In fact, he begins to argue, yes, I know Christ was raised from the dead. There were all these witnesses. There were the apostles. In fact, he says, on one occasion, more than 500 brethren saw the resurrected Jesus. And then he says, out of time, I myself saw the resurrected Jesus. And if Christ is raised, then we too are raised. He the firstfruits. And then we follow as the full harvest. Look at verse 22. For as in Adam all die, likewise in Christ all will be made alive. Verse 26. For the last enemy to be abolished is death. But the Corinthians had a problem. They had imagined that bodily resurrection would be a mere reanimation of their corpses. That somehow... The heavenly body, the celestial body of glory, would simply be a propped up version, a re infused version of their 
earthly bodies that somehow God would take their broken, burned, bruised, dilapidated bodies and he would bring them to life again. That men would indeed walk with the same feet and talk with the same tongue and work with the same hands in heaven. And so verse 35, here's the question. It doesn't make sense. How are the dead raised and with what kind of body will they come? There it is. So, Paul, how are the dead raised? We've seen the bodies. And with what kind of body will they come? Paul tells them, resurrection is not a reanimation of a crumbling corpse, but rather a radical transformation of their terrestrial, their earthly body into a celestial, a glorious body. Well, Paul makes four points. Point number one. God's transforming power has no limits. God's transforming power has no limits. Look at verse 36. You fool, that which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps a wheat or, or something else. But God gives it a body just as he wished, and each of the seeds a body of its own. He, he's like, chiding a bad student. You fools, it's ridiculous what you're saying. The body's present limitations, the mortality of the flesh does not prevent the possibilities and the transformation of God and the glorious resurrection body of his people. We're not talking about the resuscitation of a corpse, Paul says. We're talking about God's transforming power. Some at Corinth were so sophisticated. They were spiritual and mysterious, and they were well-to-do. And the idea of the limits of the body in heaven was not a good idea to them. They like to think of our spirits being in a cage of a body, and our spirits escape. So, yes, they couldn't deny Jesus' tomb was, was open and empty, but that didn't mean we would have to have bodies. They didn't want a soma, a body. They were too sophisticated for the flesh. They were full of wisdom and knowledge and mysteries. Paul says, oh no, you've missed it. We will never fully understand God's transforming powers, but he can change us, this earthly body, this terrestrial body, into a new kind of body. Like the tiny seed that goes into the ground is transformed in such an astonishing way. If you had never seen an oak tree, imagine you come upon an acorn. Would you imagine within that acorn is the possibility through the transforming power of God of a hundred foot tall oak tree? One you could build your house of, the towering limbs, the power, the birds of the air could nest in it. If you saw an acorn and, you, and you'd never seen an oak tree, and from a distance you looked at the two, you would think they had no relation to each other. You put the acorn in the ground and you water it and God transform it, and you don't just end up with a, a bigger acorn. It's something altogether, altogether different, isn't it? You would never imagine that that came from this. The sunflower came from the tiny seed. In the same way, 
God transformed our little bodies like the pitiful little seed into something glorious and transforming. The first point is there's no limits to the transformation power of God. There's four points under that. A would be the seed is not made alive unless it dies. The seed is not made alive unless it dies. If we want glorious, transformed bodies, then dying is part of that process of our heavenly habitation. The seed is not made alive unless it dies. And B, the seed planted is not the body that will come up from the ground. The seed planted is nothing like the body that will come up out of the ground. The acorn is not like the oak tree. C, God affects a transition between the seed and the plant. God brings about the transformation between that seed and that plant. He puts on the image of clothing. The, the sunflower puts on a new set of beautiful clothes. And likewise, those of us who are part of the resurrection will put on a new set of glorious clothes that will look nothing like what we have right now. Our bodies are important. They are the seed. They will be part of the resurrection. But that broken body does not limit the transformation power of God. Our weak, failing, frail, perishing bodies are promised the transformation of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, they began to ask a, a corollary question. How can we, that is perishable, inherit the imperishable? How can our bodies that are mortal inherit immortality? Well, the second big thing he says is this. There's a difference between the terrestrial and the celestial. There's a difference between the earthy and the glory, or the earthy and the heavenly. Look at verse 39 through 44. All flesh... Is not the same flesh. But there is one flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, another flesh of fish. There's also the heavenly bodies and the earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, and the glory of the earthly is another. There's the glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars. For stars different from stars in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. And if there's a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. That's the good news. I don't know about you, but we don't want to go into our next life with our limitations and our infirmities of our aging bodies. I can tell you, as one grows older, things don't go better with the body. Some of you figured that out already. And some of us are so ashamed of the destructive process that aging brings to our bodies that you'll still meet people who will not tell you their age. It's like the expiration date on milk. You don't, they don't tell. They don't want you to know that date. A mischievous man went up to an elderly lady and asked her, just how old are you anyway? She replied, sir, my age is my own business. He said, well, it looks like you've been in business for a long time, <laughs> ma'am. 
You cannot defy the aging process. Someone once wrote, when you're young, you want to be the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. When you're young, you want to be the master of your fate and the captain of your soul. Well, when you get older, you would settle to be the master of your weight and the captain of the bowling team. Your, your priorities somehow change. Reminds me of the nine-year-old man who married a 55-year-old girl, and everybody began to ask old Slim why at 90 he married a lady who was 55. Is it because of her beauty? He said, no, she's really not all that beautiful, if I were to be honest. Well, she must really have a lot of money, Slim. No, she doesn't have any money to speak of. Well, she's a, she's a great cook then. I bet it's really something when she cooks. No, she just microwaves TV dinners. It's, it's not her cooking. Well, Slim, at 90, why did you marry a lady who was 55? Because she can drive after dark, was his <laughs> reply. One preacher said, one good thing about growing older is the Easter egg hunts. Because now by the time you've hidden the last one, you forgot where you put the first one, and you can have a one-man Easter egg hunt. Was it Phyllis Diller who said, life may begin at 50, but everything else begins to wear out, fall out, or spread out, is what she said. Or Tom, who was age 92, was marrying Ruth, age 89. Tom, 92, Ruth, age 89, they were, he had just proposed, they were excited, they were taking a stroll downtown, and as they began to discuss their wedding, they went into a, a pharmacy, Tom suggested they go into it, and he asked the man behind the counter, are you the owner of this pharmacy? The pharmacist replied, yes, I am. Well, we are, we're about to get married, do you sell heart medication? He asked at age 92, oh, of course we sell heart medication. Or do you sell medicine for circulation? 92-year-old Tom asked. Yes, all kinds. Well, what about medicine for rheumatism and scoliosis? Definitely, the pharmacist replies. How about medicine for memory problems and arthritis? Yes, large variety of the works. What about vitamins and sleeping pills and Geritol antidotes for Parkinson's disease? Absolutely, the pharmacist said. Do you sell wheelchairs and walkers and canes, all speeds, all sizes? And 90-year-old Tom said to the pharmacist, well, then we'd like to register for our wedding guests right here at <laughs> the pharmacy. If it weren't true, it wouldn't hurt so much, would it? <laughs> What Paul is saying is this, there is a difference between your decaying body and your heavenly body. The Corinthians were worrying, we don't want bodies anymore. Oh, you fool, he says. It's like a seed in the ground, the transformative power of God. There are all kinds of flesh. There's not just one kind of body. There's the body of the beast. There's the body of man. There's the, the body of the bird. There's the body of the sun. There's the body of the moon. There's one star's body. It differs from another star's body. God will give you a different, celestial, glorious, heavenly body. Your earthly body does not limit your heavenly habitation. In fact, I like that he uses stars. I think he's using stars as sort of a, a reminder of the glorious bodies of the resurrection. It's like the stars, he says. 
Our heavenly body will not be a reanimated corpse, but something more glorious and altogether different than anything we could imagine. The cow has the body for the cow. The fish has the body for the fish. The earthly body has the body for earth, but the glorious body has the body of glory. Here's a third thing he says. There's one body with Adam and one with Christ. There's one body with Adam and another body with Christ. Look at 44b through 49. If there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last, Adam, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. As is the heavenly, so also all those who are heavenly. And just as we've been born in the image of earth, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Let that stick in your mind. In the kingdom of God, you will bear the image of the heavenly. Adam received, like we did, an embodied soul in a natural body. But Christ is a life-giving spirit. It's the, the language and image of resurrection. It is, he's a life giver. He's a resurrection Jesus. The natural body is represented in Adam. From the dust he came. And there's an appropriate body for earthly habitation. But there's a heavenly body, a celestial body for heavenly habitation. Paul's argument goes in the language of participation. We die with Christ, that's your baptism. We rise with Christ. Even as he was resurrected, we will be resurrected. If we die with him, we also rise with him. Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble estate in the conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has to even subject all things to himself. Man, I like that. Your body will be like Christ's body. The humble body will be gone. It will be a heavenly habitation. Every time I see a child in a wheelchair, I I say to myself, not for long, not for long. See someone struggling along to walk, not for long, not for long. There's a fourth and final thing. There will be a mystery in just a moment. There will be a mystery in just a moment. Look at verse 50. Now I say this, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment and the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on the immortality, 
Then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. And the mystery at the blast of the apocalyptic trumpet. It's the word of the Old Testament prophecy. That trumpet shall sound. It's Paul in 1 Thessalonians. At the blast of that trumpet, you will know that the time has come. Zechariah, Joel, Matthew, Isaiah, we shall be changed. It will all be changed. The dead and the living and like. And we should never underestimate God's transforming power. For that which is, Im that is perishable will be imperishable, and that which is mortal will have immortality. Death is swallowed up in victory. Death has lost its sting. Everything is changed as we become Christ-like in our heavenly habitation. There's some of you here this morning who have broken bodies. There's some of you here this week, and we're already starting on next week, who will be burying loved ones. I want you to notice the transforming power of God. I want you to look at that little acorn and imagine he would, he would have never drawn that that will become this. Or that little sunflower seed, I had a tiny one, becomes an eight-foot-tall sunflower with the glory of the sun in yellow and orange, radiant. Whatever caused us to imagine that our heavenly habitation would have much to do with our earthly selves. It is this seed transformed by the power of God into something so glorious we can't even imagine it. Those who cannot walk in this life will dance in the kingdom of God. And those who barely limp along will run races on kingdom streets. For eye has not seen, and ear has not heard what God is going to do for his people. Let us pray. Oh God, we think so little. We think we can look at our earthly bodies and figure out what our heavenly habitation will be like. We have no clue. So different than anything we might imagine. So different than anything we've witnessed or experienced. God, I know in a room like this, there are folks who are fearful of death and others who've recently been by the graveside. May they hear the trumpet will sound. And like putting on new clothes, that which is perishable will put on the imperishable, and that which is mortal will put on immortality. And 
death will lose. It already lost. 2,000 years ago when that rabbi didn't stay in the tomb. He's just the first fruits. And we in his power and glory shall follow. Amen.